And now if you did not have a seat, they're all up in the front ready for you now. That is not the Baptist way at all. Well, well, good morning to you. And uh, as, we, as we saw, Vacation Bible School was a, a tremendous uh, success. And thank you, Carson Neal, for uh, that video recap. And we had a, a great, great week. This week we averaged uh, 264 children. Um, we had 120 workers each, each day. And on Wednesday, the gospel was presented to kindergarten uh, through fifth, ga- fifth grade in church seven. 78 boys and girls came forward to make some type of decision for Jesus Christ. And just to let you know, whenever a a boy or a girl comes forward during Vacation Bible School, we will counsel them to make sure they understand what's going on. And and almost all 78 have been counseled, um, but of those who have been counseled, 42 made a first-time decision for Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's just remarkable. That's really, really, really good. Um, and, and this year we had two offerings uh, that, was, that we took part in this week. The first offering regarding uh, shoes. Um, we have a student in our student ministry by the name of Riley Letson uh, who started a nonprofit organization uh, many years ago called Riley's Souls for Souls. And uh, she collects shoes and deliver the, delivers those shoes to those who are less fortunate. Um, and um, she's been to West Virginia several times to deliver shoes. Your boys and girls uh, brought lots and lots and lots of shoes, and we're very, very thankful for that. Uh, But our second offering was a financial offering uh, to the Mana House. Mana House is a a food distribution or food resource center here in our city. It's open 365 days a week and feeds about 200 or so individuals every single day. Moms, dads, grandparents, church, let me tell you what your sons and your daughters did. Of course, they stole from your piggy bank, (laughs) to which I say thank you. But your boys and girls, are you ready for this? They brought in over $4,000. Can we just give a hand clap of praise for that? Um, it was quite remarkable, and we had a contest between the boys and the girls, whoever brought the most money, um, whoever brought the most money, if the boys brought the most money, then Miss Melody would be dunked in a dunking booth, if the girls brought the most money, then, then I would be dunked in a, dunking booth, in a dunking booth, and all I know is Miss Melody is dry, that's all that I know. <laughs> Uh, but we're very, very, very thankful for that. But a huge shout out to Melody Wilkes, our children's director. Yes, yes. They say a camera adds 10 pounds, and yes, I agree with that. I agree. Um, but um, a big thank you to Melody Wilkes, our children's director, and everybody, the children's ministry team, and everybody who served. Um, we just say thank you. If you served and you're in the children's ministry, you served on Vacation Bible School this past week, would you please stand so we can recognize you and say a big thank you? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So my one challenge to all you workers today is please stay awake. That's my goal. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you take them out, please, and go to the Old Testament book, the first book in our Bible, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, as we are in our summer series on Lord, I want to know you. 
Then we're looking at the names of God. And in this series, this is the third sermon in our series, uh, we have discovered that everybody has a God. Say that with me. Everybody has a God. But there's two questions that go along with that statement. Yes, everybody has a God, but the two questions that follow that statement are this. Who is he and what is he like? We all have gods. Who is he? What is he like? Jesus said this in the Lord's Prayer, which you are all familiar with. Jesus said this, when you pray, say it this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus thought highly of God's name. He thought so highly of God's name that he said that we should hallow his name. What does that mean? That means that we should, that we should worship that name because that name is, is holy. The psalmist wrote in Psalm chapter 9, verse 10, said this, Those who know your name will put their trust in you. And so the goal of this series is simply, let's get to know who our God is. Who is he? What's he like? And once we know who he is and what's he like, it's my prayer, it's my desire that you will put your full trust in Jesus Christ. And we are all aware that the name of Jesus, that Christianity, that, it, that it's under attack and our, the generation behind us is under attack, but God's Word says this, that if you know who God is, you will put your trust in Him. Now I know it's every prayer for every mom and every dad and every grandparent that their sons and their daughters would put their hope in their face in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, let's find out who he is. Amen? Last week we looked at the name Abba Father. God is our dad. He, is, he wants to be in a personal relationship with us. Well, today we are going to look at a compound name of God. The compound name of God, Jehovah Jireh. Now, in all of the names of God, there probably isn't a name more celebrated, more known, and more referenced than Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Now it's interesting whenever you read scripture and you study God's word, whenever you come across a compound name of God, it's significant. It is significant because when God reveals himself in the compound form, what he is doing is he's addressing a specific situation in a life. Now, if you think with me in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created. That name for God is Elohim. Elohim, not a compound word, not a compound name, just a very simple name. Elohim, the all-powerful one. Well, in Genesis 1-1, there is no life, but God, Elohim, has the power to create life. But whenever he uses a compound name for himself, what he is doing, he is addressing a situation. Because when God reveals himself in the compound name, like Jehovah Jireh, or the other compound names that we're going to look at in the following Sundays, Something is going on in somebody's life, in their circumstance, that God wants to reveal himself. 
When you read the Bible, when you read Scripture, particularly the Old Testament, and you see the compound names of God, you should automatically know that God wants to reveal himself into a specific situation. He wants to reveal himself into a situation where, where that individual needs help, that individual needs God to show up and to pull him out of a situation. How many of you ever heard of the phrase, you've been caught between a rock and a hard place? Anybody ever heard of that phrase? Yeah. How many of you have ever been caught between a rock and a hard place? Maybe you're sitting between them right now, maybe, right? <laughs> yeah, I hope not. Don't, don't look at them. Just don't stare. Well, we've all, been, we've all been there. We've all been caught between a rock and a hard place. And we need somebody or something who is bigger than us to rescue us. Well, if you're here today and you're in a difficult situation, listen. Listen as we get to know God as Jehovah Jireh. If you're ready, say amen. Genesis chapter 22. We're going to read the scripture, and then at the end, I will make some application points. But begin in verse number one. It's on the screen behind me as well. And by the way, aren't you thankful we have two screens this week? The Lord provides. Amen? It just took a really long time, but that's okay. Verse one. Now it came about after these things. Now stop there. Whenever a student of the Bible reads God's Word, and you come across an expression of time, you need to stop. Because whenever the author gives you an expression of time, they want you to know something. They want you to know the chronological order, which means you have to know what happened before the situation in order to understand what's going to happen, whatever the author is going to write. An expression of time is going to give us a clue. So when we read the story of Abraham and Isaac, and most of you know this story already, but whenever the author writes, now it came about after these things, the author is writing to us that we need to know what happened before this situation so that it will help us to understand why God has to reveal himself as Jehovah Jireh. Are you with me? We need to know what happened in order to understand why God is going to reveal himself as Jehovah Jireh. So the author says, now it came about after these things. Well, what's happened to Abraham prior to Genesis chapter 22? We have to understand that in order to know why God's going to provide. Flip back with me to Genesis chapter 12. Let's just go quickly through uh, the, the faith journey of Abraham. And I'm just going to hit some highlights um, here in Genesis, starting in Genesis chapter Chapter 12. You remember the story in Genesis chapter 12. God calls, Abram, calls Abram out of the Ur of Chaldees, which is modern day, modern day Iraq. He calls him out and says, go to a place that I will show you. Do this and I will bless you and I will make you the father of, of many nations, of many people. I want to bless you, Abram. And it says in Genesis chapter 12 that Abram is 75 years old. He ain't a young chicken. Are you with me? He ain't a young chicken, but here at 75, God calls 
Abram, and he gives him a promise. Now hold on to that age, 75 years old, because this is key in Abram's faith journey. We'll look over in the chapter, Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, we are looking approximately 10 years later in Abram's faith journey. God promised him a son, promised him a family at the age 75. Ten years later, God has not fulfilled that promise yet. Do you think Abram has some questions? You better believe that he does. As a matter of fact, Genesis chapter 15, uh, Abram says to God, hey God, what's the deal? I still don't have a son. How am I going to be the father of many nations if I don't have a son? Am I to use one of my slaves? And God says, no, 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 Abram, no, 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 no. And he tells Abram, go outside and look up at the sky. You remember this story? He says, go up and look up the sky, and can you count all the stars? And Abram's like, no, I, I, I can't do that. And God says, but I'm the one who knows all the stars, and trust me, I told you I was going to do something, now trust me. And in Genesis chapter 15, it says this, that Abram believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed. That's 10 years after God had told him this. Well, you look simply over in Genesis chapter 16, another major point in Abram's faith journey. Chapter 16, one year after Genesis chapter 15, Abram is 16 years old. Apparently, he was getting a little frustrated because in Genesis 16, something bad happens. Do you know what happens in Genesis 16? He and Sarah, his wife, they began to manipulate the system. Any of you ever tried to manipulate the system before? How did that work out for you? It doesn't work out well when you manipulate the system. And so Abram and Sarah, they make up this idea. They say, we can't have children. And so Sarah says to Abram, here's my maidservant, Hagar, and you go, you go have a child. And they have a child by the name of Ishmael. Well, surely that won't cause any long-term problems. It did, didn't it? Are we still facing and wrestling with some of the problems that took place here in Genesis 16? Absolutely we are. This is a big deal. When you look at Genesis chapter 17, you just look, look over the next chapter. It is 13 years after uh, uh, Abram's mistake. In Genesis chapter 17, Abram is 99 years old. God hasn't spoken to him and recorded for 13 years. He's still holding on to what God promised him, but he's still saying, God, where is my son? And so in Genesis 17, God comes back to him and says, I told you 24 years earlier that I was going to make you the father the many nations, and now, one year from now, I am going to give you a son. And this is what God says, to prove my faithfulness to you, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your name from Abram to, to Abraham. And God says, I am faithful. And then we finally get to Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter uh, 18, 19, 20, and then 21. Finally, after 25 years, Abram and Sarah have a son, and his name is Isaac. Here's a question for you. Do you think Abraham loved that boy, Isaac? Do you think that he loved him so much? Do you think it's possible? Do you think it's possible that Isaac loved 
excuse me, that Abraham loved his son Isaac more than he loved God? Is it possible? I think it's possible. Because here's what I know about human nature. You know it as well. Many times, we love the blessing more than the blesser. Are you with me? We love the blessing more than the blesser. And here's what I know from my own experience, what I've seen happen in other people's lives, and what I see in Scripture is this, that whenever you love the blessing more than the blesser, something's got to change. And you know what's going to change? God is going to reveal himself. And God wants us to know nothing goes above him. In other words, there needs to be no Isaacs in your life that are above God. And when something is above God, here's what God will do. He will reveal himself to you, whether it's through a situation or whether it's a circumstance, where he is going to pry your fingers away from Isaac so that you're not more in love with the blessing than the blesser. Instead, you love the blesser more than the blessing well. Do you see why the author said, now it came about after these things? What does he say? Let's look. Now it came about after these things, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, God said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now stop there. Does that text give anybody any heartburn? Does this give you heartburn? It does me. This is tough. God, who are you? Wait a minute, God, I, I want to know you, but you're asking me to do something that's illogical and irresponsible, and, and there's a Hebrew term that, that many of you have used. You don't know it's a Hebrew term, but it's the term stupid. <laughs> Would you agree? Can God do this? Can God call us and ask us to do something that is illogical and what we think is irresponsible? Can God do that? Can God call us to do something that is so out of the ordinary that we would think that is wrong? Then we say, God, you have lost your mind. Can God do that? Absolutely he can. I remember several years ago, by the way, Angela, can I tell this story? Thank you. So, <laughs> I forgot to ask her, but she'll, she'll be, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I've, t I've told this story before, I think. But several years ago, before Angela and I were married, um, I was serving at a church. We were serving at a church together, and the pastor was preaching on giving an offering above and beyond the tithe. You remember the story? Can I tell the story? Thumbs up. All right. And the preacher's teaching on giving a tithe, giving an offering above and beyond a tithe. And so, okay. And he said, on such and such Sunday, you are going to have to come forward, much like we do at Vacation Bible School for an offering, come up to the front and lay your offering down on the steps. Okay, no problem. 
So we began to pray about it, pray about individually what we're going to give, because we're, we're, we're single uh, still at that time, and we're praying what to give. I pray, she prays. And then because it's the week that we need to give our offering. Now, I'm a seminary student at that time, which means I was rolling in debt. That's exactly right. <laughs> I was poor. I did not have much money at all. But that week, a card came in the mail. It came from my mom, and I opened the card, and there in the card was a crisp $100 bill. I'm going, this is exactly what I need. I need, I need some moolah. I need some money. And as soon as I opened up that card and saw that $100 bill, guess what? The Lord spoke. And what do you think he said? He said, give it. Okay, God, I trust you. I give it. We make it to Sunday morning. It's time for us to give our offering. We stand up. I go to place my offering on the steps. But I notice that somebody's not following me. You remember the story? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you how I remember it. <laughs> and um, I look back and say, hey, what's going on? You know, da-da-da-da. <clears throat> we, we need to give our offering. Let's go ahead and do it. And um, what wasn't happening? And so just had a conversation, said, you know, what has God asked you to give? And she said, my, my tax return. I said, okay, how much, how much is that? She told me the amount, and I sat down and started to cry with her. <laughs> um, but we both came to the realization that, that, that God can ask us to do what seems irresponsible. And that God can ask you to do what's irrational. Are you with me? God can ask you to do something that is difficult, that is hard, that just doesn't make sense. That's who God is. When you and I choose to follow God, Abba Father last week, Jehovah Jireh this week, when you choose to give your life to the Heavenly Father, You've surrendered your life to him so that you say to him, I will do whatever you ask me to do. I will do the easy, I will do the mundane, and I will do the difficult. Because you're the Lord, you're God, and you're in control. But God, if you ask me to do the difficult things, I need you to provide for me. And here's what I know in my years as following Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and then being in the ministry. Here's what I know. God often calls me to do that which is difficult. I don't like confrontation. But in ministry, guess what you have to wrestle with? Confrontation. Anybody with me this morning? Same for you in whatever arena. God often calls, often calls us to do what seems to be irrational. And that's when we're caught between a rock and a hard place. Do I obey 
or do I disobey? Well, let's see what Abraham does. Look in verse number three. We see that verse number three says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. Abraham immediately follows and obeys God. He obeys him. I don't know if Abraham and God had a conversation. I don't know if Abraham argued back and forth with God. I have no idea. All I know is what scripture says, that Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled up his donkey, took a couple of people with him, and said, Isaac, let's go on a trip. So here, God is testing Abraham, and here Abraham is passing the test with flying colors. He has been told what to do, and immediately he obeys God. That's a big deal. And Abraham passes this test so far. You look down in verse number four, three days journey. Verse number five, it says this, that Abraham and his son make it to this region of Moriah, which is near modern day Jerusalem. And he said to his servants in verse number five, servants, you stay here with the donkey. I will take my son. We will go over there. We are going to worship. Now, by the way, this is the first mention of the word worship in all of scripture right here. We're going to worship, but what's the last phrase? And we will come back. Who's we? Abraham and Isaac. He says, we are going to return. And so Abraham and Isaac, verse 6, they keep walking. They're walking along, having a father and son conversation. And then in verse number 7, Isaac asks a question that would prick any man's heart. And Isaac says, Dad, wait a minute, we're, we're walking a long ways, and, but, but Dad, I, I see the wood. As a matter of fact, I'm carrying the wood on my shoulders. I see the fire, but Dad, where's the lamb? Where's, where's the sacrifice? Isaac is realizing that he is caught between a rock and a hard place. Abraham knows it as well, but Abraham is quick on his feet. And look at verse 8. He says this. What is it? He says, God, he says, son, God what will provide. Wow. Abraham is showing faith. He's trusting in God. Now, does Abraham know he's in a difficult situation? Absolutely he does. He knows he's in a difficult situation. But notice Abraham's focus. Abraham's focus is not on the solution, but it's on God the Father. Do you see that? His focus is not on, how can I make this situation work? How am I going to manipulate this? How am I going to get this to work here, this to work here, and all things going to work out? That's not his focus. His focus is on God the Father. Now listen, many of you today, many of you may find yourself in a very difficult life situation. You may find yourself that you are caught between a rock and a hard place. And many of you may be looking for a solution to get out of that situation. And you may be like Isaac going, Dad, wh wh where is it? Where, where is everything? But listen to me closely, child of God. Listen to me. Because God is your Jehovah Jireh. He has you in the right spot at the right time so that he can reveal himself to you. I don't care what your situation is. I don't care what the difficulty is. Here's what Jehovah Jireh tells us. God sees you, and he's got you in the right spot to reveal himself to you. And the question is, where's your focus? Is it on the situation? 
or is it on our Heavenly Father? Well, we continue looking at our text and we see uh, that Abraham has said, God will provide. They keep walking. Verses 9, 10, and 11, they keep walking. And the next thing you know, we see that Abraham has taken his son and placed him on the altar. He has bound him up and he picks up the knife. I mean, this is the moment, the crisis of belief right here. Abraham picks up the knife and he's about to sacrifice his son. And at the very moment, not a second sooner and not a second later, God shows up. And look at verse 12, and God says, don't touch him. Do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do not touch the boy. Do nothing to him, for I know, Abraham, that you fear me since you have not withheld your one and only son. God showed up. And I love what happens next. As you can imagine what is going on, I'm sure God shouted to Abraham. Abraham stops. And then I'm amazed at what the next verse it says, that Abraham looked up and he saw a ram in the bushes. Question for you. Was the ram already there? Yeah. The ram was already there. Because here's what God does in his sovereignty and his omnipotence and in his providence. At the same time that Abraham and Isaac are climbing up the mountain to get to the top, guess what else is climbing up that mountain at the same time? Boom! At just the right time. At just the right time. Abraham looks up and he sees the ram. Just the right time, that ram makes all this noise so that Abraham can see the ram, and he runs over, and he takes the ram, and he sacrifices the lamb instead of his son. God always shows up at the right time. Look at verse number 14, and here's the key in everything. And Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be, it will be provided. This is the name Jehovah Jireh. God is my provider. Here's, what's, here's what is so awesome about Scripture. Is that Scripture has the same theme all the way throughout. It's called a scarlet thread. It runs from Genesis to Revelation, a scarlet thread, the same message. And once God was revealed as Jehovah Jireh, the rest of Scripture picks this up. Listen to these verses. Psalm 34 verse 10 says this, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Why? He's Jehovah Jireh. Matthew chapter 6, verses 26 and 23, uh, Jesus said this, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barge, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Why? Because his name is Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. Philippians 4.19, Paul picks up the same thing that begins in Genesis 22. He picks up the same thing that, that God is Jehovah Jireh, I provider. And Paul writes these great words in Philippians when he says, And my God shall supply all your needs 
all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is the same theme all throughout Scripture, that God is our provider, that he is Jehovah Jireh. In Matthew chapter 10, we read, Jesus says this, that God knows the very number of hairs on your head. Don't say a word. <laughs> but he knows. He knows because he cares. And God will provide for you because he cares. Jesus goes on to say that he knows when the sparrow falls. But what he's saying is, I am so intimately involved in your life that I know what's going on. Jesus knows God as the provider. I mean, you even look in the Old Testament again. Um, God provided for Daniel when he was in the lion's den. God provided for David with a, with a stone and a slingshot to, to knock out Goliath. God provided the manna for the Israelites in the wilderness. God delivered uh, Gideon from the Midianites. Uh, you see, all throughout Scripture, God loves to come through for his people. That's what God loves to do. Why does God love to do that? Because that's who he is. That's his name. His name is Jehovah Jireh. I will provide. That's the theme of Scripture. So what makes you think that he won't provide in your situation? If you think that he will not provide in your situation, that's stinking thinking. That's not biblical thinking, because God's name doesn't change. The scripture says this, he is the same, what, yesterday, today, and forever. If he provided in Genesis chapter 22, he's going to provide for you in 2023, because that is his name well. How can we receive God's provision? Let me give you two application points this morning, then we're going to be done. How do we receive God's provision? There's really two things that, that we have to do to accept and to receive his provision. Number one is this. In order to receive God's provision, it requires faith. It requires faith. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean this. You believe. You believe who God says he is. He said, my name is Jehovah Jireh. Believe it. Believe it. Trust it. Meditate upon it. Hold on to it. Well, I don't, I don't feel like believing it. No, 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 it's not about what you feel. It's not about the experience. What it is, it's a battle between the mind. Are you going to choose to believe who God says he is or not? God says, I will provide. Trust it. Well, I don't know how he's going to provide. I don't either, but I know this. He's going to provide. I, I, I don't know when he's going to provide. I don't either, but I've got to trust it. I don't know if it's going to be painful, if it's going to be easy, if it's going to be difficult. I don't know. All that I know is this, is that it requires faith to receive his provision. Because when you think about it, when Abraham was sacrificing his son on uh, sacrificing his son Isaac on Mount Moriah, that was a foreshadowing of what God was going to do at Golgotha. 
when he was going to sacrifice his one and only son, whose name is Jesus. And the way that you and I receive the provision of forgiveness of sins and of eternal life is what? Then you have what? Faith. You believe he's going to do it. Will God see you through? Yes, he will. Why? It's who he is. And here's number two, and then we'll be done. Maybe the shortest sermon I've ever preached here at First Baptist Church, Brunswick. I can go longer if you like. Here's number two. How do we receive God's provision? You obey and you trust him. That's it. Can you, can you elaborate, Pastor? Yes. You trust and obey him. All right, Pastor, go a little bit deeper. Okay. You do what he says, and you trust him. But Pastor, you, you don't know what he's calling me to do. I, I don't, but if it's consistent with Scripture, here's what I know. God will provide. Because that's his name. Jehovah Jireh. I will provide. So, what's our response today? Our response is this. Will we let go of the Isaacs in our life? Put God in his right place? And then will we trust him when he calls us to do what seems irresponsible, that seems crazy, and will we trust him? And will we step out in faith? Amen? Do you know Jesus? Do you know God as Jehovah Jireh? I sure hope you do. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. And Father, I thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the God who provides. You are the God who, who calls us to do the impossible. But your promise is, I'm going to provide. I pray, God, this morning that there's somebody here who's wrestling with a call on their life from you that may seem irresponsible, seems crazy. I pray that they would trust you. And Lord, if there's somebody here this morning who has never put their hope and their faith and trust in you for salvation, I pray that they would do it. Because, because on the cross, there in Jerusalem at Mount Calvary, you sacrificed your son for our sins. And you provided a payment for the penalty of our sins. You provided righteousness for our filthy rags. And you provided holiness for our sin. I pray that we would give our lives to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together at this.